0: From WGCU News, this is Gulf Coast Life. I'm Mike Canary. A new survey of Southwest Floridians' attitudes about global warming found that most residents believe climate change is real, is happening now, and the impacts will be felt by future generations the poll, called the 2022 Climate Metrics Survey of Southwest Florida, is a follow-up to a similar poll conducted back in 2018 by Growing Climate Solutions. It's a coalition of environmental advocates, organizations, and other stakeholders in Southwest Florida who are working to inform and prepare the community for impacts caused by climate change. Overall, the poll found 68% of residents surveyed believed climate change is real, whether it was man-made or natural, and that number declined from 70. percent 5% back in 2018. The survey also included questions on political affiliation and found many Republicans and some independents in southwest Florida are less concerned about the effects of a warming planet and less supportive of possible solutions. The poll covers a lot of ground, and I would encourage listeners to read it. But to get the highlights, I spoke last week with the regional director of Growing Climate Solutions and a Florida Gulf Coast University professor of marine and earth sciences. Let's hear that conversation now. Dr. Anna Pushkin-Shevlin is Regional Director of Growing Climate Solutions. Dr. Pushkin-Shevlin, welcome to Gulf Coast Life.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: And Dr. Mike Savarese is professor in the Department of Marine and Earth Sciences at Florida Gulf Coast University. Dr. Savarese, welcome back to the show.
2: Thanks. Good to see you.
0: We would love it if you would weigh in on this conversation or any of our shows by using WGCU social media. Find us on Facebook. We're at WGCU Public Media. And then on Twitter, we're at WGCU. Just use the hashtag GCL. So Ana, for starters, tell us about Growing Climate Solutions.
1: Uh, Growing Climate Solutions is an initiative of four regional partners, which include the Conservancy of Southwest Florida, Florida Gulf Coast University, the Collier Community Foundation, and the Collaboratory. It was established about three years ago in an effort to raise awareness about climate and the need for climate action. Uh, We focus primarily on educating the public helping organizations move forward on positive climate actions that they wanna take.
0: As I understand it, it's part of the Southwest Florida Climate and Community Initiative. Uh, Can you explain kinda what that is and where it fits in?
2: Uh, Climate and Community Initiative is an effort that's uh, brought in our – really our five county region with an opportunity for people to talk about their concerns, to understand climate change a little bit better and to express their concerns and their interests and try to effectively influence the thinking of the decision makers. And This has been sort of an ongoing effort uh, involving a, a lot of partners and a lot of sponsors. And it will culminate with a summit on October 6th of this year um, at the Coconut Point Hyatt Regency, which is where uh, we've hosted summits before, water summits in the past. And um, the way this has been structured, uh, this may be a little much, too much in the weeds, but we started by reaching out to civic leaders across our region and tried to get their concerns on paper, and we've used that information to then design a program that's scheduled for that for that day on October sixth
0: let's move on to the uh, survey results that we're here to discuss. So this is the second time that you've conducted this survey. The first time was in 2018. For starters, can you just explain, is it the same survey? Is it almost the same survey? Like what are the key differences, if any?
1: This survey of climate beliefs and attitudes was originally done in 2018, just before Growing Climate Solutions was formulated as an entity. In fact, the data that came out of the 2018 survey was one of the impetuses for creating an organization to do climate outreach and education. The 22 survey was there to see how things have changed. It's Nearly an identical survey question for question, but there were some questions that were asked in 2018 relative to the impact of IRMA on attitudes that weren't relevant at this point in time. So some of those were changed and we added some new things, but the data where we do compare 2018 to 2022 were identical so that it would be an apples-to-apples comparison.
0: So explain uh, the scope of the study and how it was conducted.
1: Uh, Growing Climate Solutions contracted the study to Lake Research Partners. They're a national, well known polling organization. Um, They had done the original survey in 2018, so we reviewed the questions together. They sent out um, random, from a random generated phone list, invitations that appeared, many of them on mobile phones, and you got a link if you were willing to participate. And then You did the survey online. It included about 40 to 50 questions. And we surveyed 400 responses to this. So we have a margin of error of plus or 4.9%.
0: And as I understand it, it's like um, the basic aspects of what was being surveyed were like the level of beliefs in a warming planet, concerns about coming change, community readiness and uh, rising seas and warming temperatures, the use of alternative energies to slow climate change, trustworthy sources of information about global warming, or are there any? But as I read through this survey data, it seems like you also sort of captured some really interesting data on political views and how they've shifted in those four years. Can you talk a little bit about that before we get into the rest of the survey's results?
1: Sure. So the survey was divided up into parts. The first part was awareness and concern. There was a section on understanding of information, one on trusted sources and beliefs, one on value systems, one on the kinds of solutions people want to see move forward. So we tried to capture a wide range of information. And when we also asked demographic information, we got the information by age and by political affiliation. So when we looked at the crosstabs, we could break down how the answers broke down by political party, which was very interesting.
0: Can you explain what you mean by very interesting? It looked like there was quite a bit of shifting to the right, if you could put it simply.
1: I would agree that since 2018, some of the beliefs in climate change and the need, the pressing need to address it, have slipped a bit. We've seen a decrease in both awareness, um, concern, and support for climate actions. That slip was significantly more pronounced among people who identify as Republican, somewhat less among independents, and much less among Democrats, though there still was a slip. Some of that can be explained methodologically by the fact that the survey was conducted in April of 2022 – it was at the height of the war breaking out in the Ukraine and the prices of gasoline going up and things sort of being tumultuous at that point. So, in a way, you know, we couldn't change that, but that could be partially explaining an attention being focused on issues of energy independence and economic issues, and that may have impacted some of the results. But we still see, irrespective of that, A change in attitude and it's across the board in beliefs in awareness in choices of policy actions we find much less support among Republicans than among Democrats it seems as if people from different political stripes have gotten further into their corners and the middle hollowed out
0: Um, so let's talk about some key findings let's start with the awareness concerns and impacts can you go over the key findings in that category
1: Well, the number that people often quote is that 68% of people believe climate change is happening, 23% believe it wasn't happening, and 9% said they weren't sure or didn't know. However, we also asked that similar question with an opportunity to attribute your beliefs. So we asked the question two afterwards, if climate change is happening, what is the reason climate change is happening? And We have about two-thirds of the population believe it's either human or human natural causes, and a healthy percentage believe that it is natural causes. But in total, at that point, 87% of people believe that climate change is happening. So there is a group or a sub-segment of the population that sees that it's happening, attributes it to natural causes, and so doesn't want to acknowledge that it's happening as a political issue because people read that question politically often. Mike, can you help clarify yeah, that?
2: Yeah. I'm actually heartened by uh, by that difference in the statistic, the 68 percent that accept that climate change is happening and that it boosts to I think it's 87 if you, percent if you're asked to attribute a cost to it. Um, when you're trying to deal with climate change, um, you can approach climate change in one of two ways. You can accept the inevitable and it's happening and realize that you have to adapt to those changes. So people that don't believe humans are responsible but recognize that it's happening in their minds because of natural causes, those people should be willing to take adaptational kinds of practices and put those into play. Recognize that sea level is going to go up, temperature is going to rise and all the implications that come with that regardless of what's driving it, we need to treat the symptoms, right? It would be nice to see 87 percent in favoring of human or human and natural causes as as being the, the highest metric. Uh, and that allows then the public to get behind mitigation practices. In other words, not treating the symptoms of climate change, but treating the causes of climate change. So working towards greenhouse gas reduction, putting different energy practices into play and so on. So for a community like Southwest Florida, where um, we still seem to harbor this – this discontinuity if you will in terms of people's opinions in some ways it's good to know that at least 87% of the people in our region are willing to recognize that there are symptoms that need to be dealt with
0: i don't know if it falls under this category but in the in the vein of what he just said did, did the survey collect information on that balance point between we need to proactively do things that will mitigate the impacts in the future versus we need to prepare our you know we need to make higher seawalls you know to put it simply
2: while Anna is uh, searching for the appropriate uh, graphs, I do recall noting that there seemed to be um, favored – it was favorable for people to – for local government to take issues to deal with the consequences of climate change. That seemed to come out very strong in the survey. don't recall what the actual numbers are, uh, suggesting that maybe those people that are Uh, believers in climate change but view it as being naturally caused, are in favor of communities being proactive about doing things. And there's lots of information in the survey that deal with mitigation practices, changing our energy use practices, and so on. Um, And those uh, were a little different.
1: I think the numbers support what Mike is saying. We did, that was one of the new questions that we asked in 2022. Do people in our region prefer us addressing the causes of climate change, addressing the impacts, both or neither. And what we found is that 19% of people want us to address the causes, 16% want us to address the impacts, 25% want us to address both. So when you add up all the people who want us to act in some way at the local level, uh,
2: You've got to do the math. You've got to do the math. Um, <laughs> 44 and 16,
1: that's 60%? Yeah, 60%, 60% versus 34% that don't want us to do anything. At the federal level, the numbers are also very similar. 20% of people want us to take action on the cause that's reducing greenhouse gas emissions. 16% want us to address impacts, you know, infrastructure improvements, seawalls, drainage issues. 24% want both. So those numbers, whether you want to intervene at the local level or want to see action at the federal level, overwhelmingly support not just the impacts, but getting to the root cause, moving to a cleaner energy economy.
2: And the fact that there's a commitment there for local government to act as well as federal government in that 65% or whatever the number totals out to be, um, I also view as encouraging because I think we all recognize the difficulties of things happening at the federal level and getting things to change in Congress. But if local communities can act and if enough local communities act in concert, um, they can have a significant impact on mitigating greenhouse gases. So the the survey demonstrates that there's interest in local involvement.
0: Can you talk a little bit about the trust in communication sources? You know, everything from scientists to healthcare workers to Congress, all the way down to the news outlets. It seemed like there was a very large... Lack of trust across the board uh, brought out
2: from this survey. People don't trust anybody. It seems when you look at the data. Go ahead, Anna.
1: I had pulled up some information relative to the previous question that maybe I can interject before I address that. Um, We also asked what kind of interventions people want to see happen, and it was one of the strongest statistics that came out of the survey: is that 79% of people want local, state or federal government to protect the natural coastline and wetlands which provide that storm protection. So clearly there is a need and an interest in seeing local government in action.
2: That also illustrates people's appreciation of the value of what we call green infrastructure or natural settings as increasing our resilience and making use of things like wetlands and dunes and beaches and barrier islands in, in protecting what's behind them essentially society sitting behind them, which I I viewed as something um, I wasn't expecting and was very uh, pleased to see it appear.
1: So one of the strategies that we often employ in addressing climate issues, one, we want to teach people about this topic. We want to engage them. And we've learned that the best way to do that is to have the presenter of the information be somebody that is a trusted source. So we've asked, well, who do people trust with this information? And it's similar to a previous version of the survey. Scientists are the most trusted source of information, along with environmental organizations. But as Mike said, we've seen a declining trust on all the trust factors. It's lower in 2022 than it was in 2018, and that's across the board. People, trust, scientists, environmental organization, health professionals, news outlets, um, medical professionals, all sources a little bit less now than before. Luckily, it seems that the academia, you know, scientists and faculty are well regarded in in that respect in terms of trusted sources of information. We also, what was surprising and very positive is that the only people that people trust more now than before are local elected officials. So it shows that local elected officials are increasingly engaged on the subject and speak knowledgeably about it, and two, that they can communicate and engage their constituents. So that was one of the few metrics where the trust factor went up.
0: I want to take a moment to reintroduce our guests. Dr. Anna Pushkin-Chevlin is Regional Director of Growing Growing Climate Solutions, and Dr. Mike Savarese is Professor in the Department of Marine and Earth Sciences at Florida Gulf Coast University. We're discussing the results of the 2022 Climate Metrics Survey of Southwest Florida, which was conducted by Growing Climate Solutions. If you'd like to engage with us about our conversation or any of our shows, find us on Facebook at WGCU Public Media or on Twitter. We're at WGCU using the hashtag According to the survey data, as I read it, people do seem to be taking threats from sea level rise seriously, maybe more than the rest. Is that
2: accurate? Yeah, I believe so, Um, as they should. We're such a coastally minded community here in southwest Florida, and um, sea level rise probably presents the most extreme or tangible threat for the time being. You know, temperature rise is essentially the driver of sea level rise. It's a warming planet that's causing sea level rise. And with warming temperatures come all kinds of other problems. It was nice to see in the survey that those issues are recognized as well. I think uh, people often rightfully equate tropical storms and hurricanes with sea level rise. With a warming climate comes stormier storms. And when you have storm surge, for example, on top of a higher sea level, um, the storm surge has the potential to inundate further inland and in greater depths. And I think, I think Irma is still pretty much there in, in our minds as to what we experienced then and the, the last few years of extreme uh, hurricanes that have struck parts of Florida and other parts of the Bahamas and the East Coast are reinforcing um, the importance of sea level rise.
0: One thing that did strike me is, is that, you know, right now we, we live in a time where, um, you know, inflation is high, uh, gas prices have been up, and a lot of things that you're asking people to do might be seen as something that will jeopardize their own financial, you know, self in in a way. Does, does this kind of climate make it extra difficult to get people to take personal responsibility for what to do?
2: The short answer is yes. Um, it's it's difficult for people to accept higher gas prices at the pump and desire. Um, more plentiful sources of fossil fuels to bring that price down and of course if you're talking about opening up national reserves or new cooperative relationships with other governments to increase our dependence on foreign foreign oil and gas now all of a sudden you're burning more fossil fuels and increasing your your greenhouse gas inventory uh, and not setting it in the other direction you know, the, I know Anna can speak to this at great length, so maybe I'll pass it to her in a second, but greener alternatives to energy, um, solar, wind, for example, um, they provide great economic growth opportunities. But to appreciate those economic growth opportunities, you have to be a little patient for the transformation and the country has to be – re-geared, if you will, to handle um, those new energy sources. Our grid, for example, our power grid to accommodate you know um, the distribution of, of electric power. And it's hard to be patient uh, when you're dealing with, you know, hardships, economic hardships because of inflation.
1: Um, well, I have some of the data and one of the issues that we are speaking about is that the cost of energy, I think, really did influence people's response to this. In 2018, when we asked, will taking steps to prevent future climate change increase the cost of energy to consumers, the number of people who said it would increase the cost a lot, nearly doubled. Only 20% said that in 2018. Over 42% said that in April. And so the timing of the survey, just as the cost of at the pump had you know, been steadily rising, is clearly evident in that number. But- The positive piece is that we had very positive support for increasing solar, wind, and for um, incentivizing a transformation to a cleaner energy economy. So people are very supportive of investing in wind, solar, um, and even nuclear, which was a very interesting statistic. Um, The number of people who support an increase in nuclear energy went up from... 44% to 62%. And that, when we looked at that number, the biggest increase happened in men and women under 50. I think that generation understands that nuclear may be a transitional fuel and that nuclear can be a safer fuel. They're less impacted historically by the thoughts of Three Mile Island, which many older adults remember. And they see that Europe functions very well on nuclear energy. And while it's not the ideal fuel, it may serve as a steady source of transitional fuel because it's a known technology. It's readily deployable.
0: Can you talk some about what the survey found when it comes to what people in southwest Florida want to be done on a macro level, you know, by government, by state government, you know, not their local mayors and their city councils, you know, big, big picture?
1: Well, the most interesting part to that is the backstory, is that when we asked people what their values, what their foundational values are, we had 90% of all respondents believe that all people have a critical right to clean water. And 83% support a critical right to clean air. And 81% say that it's our moral responsibility to create a safe and healthy climate for ourselves and the future. So when you have those strong, overwhelming statistics saying, yes, we know this is important, then we also find support for some of the solutions.
2: You know, I think there's this perception that greenhouse gases aren't perceived as a pollutant. So often people, when asked about uh, their desire to have clean air, they don't recognize that greenhouse gases Mm. are, in essence... They're, they're not going to impact your, your health immediately. But the, the consequences of those greenhouse gases have health implications as you move forward. So I think there's a, I think there's a, a misunderstanding among the public that greenhouse gases are, are pollutants. Um, this is something the EPA has been dealing with. The EPA now is trying to look into treating uh, carbon dioxide and methane as a toxic substance and controlling it under something called the Toxic Substance Control Act. Um, Again, it's this recognition that greenhouse gases are pollutants and we have a right to clean air.
1: We also really support a transition to a cleaner economy and support incentives to get us there. So the survey asked people what they would strongly favor um, as a solution and we found that today, 85% of all the respondents agree that we need to invest in modernizing America's energy grid. 74% believe that we should charge corporate polluters a fee for the pollution they produce, the carbon. So that supports a carbon tax idea. Um, We had 65% support providing corporations tax credits for expanding their use of clean energy. And 61% believe that we should pass laws to make buildings and cars more efficient. So across the board, there is Support. And if you notice some of the questions, they're really focused on incentives toward the corporate sector and America's industries and businesses. Um, One of the interesting statistics was that 68% of the respondents believe that the private sector can take a lead in addressing climate solutions, Um, more so than the government's effectiveness. We have a bit of cynicism about the government's effectiveness. To get the private market to move on this, we have to incentivize it. And there you have the data that shows that Americans are in support of giving incentives, carrots, to have the private sector do the right thing.
2: You know um – Last evening and again this morning, one of the big news pieces that broke federally was this. I don't know what it's being called, this new piece of legislation that Schumer and Manchin are talking about. It's a curb inflation uh, um, bill that uh, is being tossed about now that seems to have some traction. With some uh, Democrats that are sort of on the fence as to supporting, when it comes to supporting climate change, and what little I know, what I've heard, what I heard on the news this morning and last night was that a number of the or many of the uh, the tenants of that bill are, are speaking to these very uh, issues that come through in the survey, incentivizing cleaner energy, tax incentives, nothing in there about carbon taxes, nothing penalizing anybody, but providing incent- economic incentives for uh, for a cleaner energy economy.
0: Anna, we've only got a couple minutes left, but can you explain to our listeners what are the key, most important things they can do as individuals to make an impact on this global problem?
1: Well, people often feel disempowered; um, they feel like they're a small piece of this bigger problem. But there are things people can do every single day in the choices they make. So, homeowners, if you are if you can install solar or clean energy. That's a step toward reducing your own energy costs and taking, you know, some off the grid and putting some energy on the grid. But it also relates to the kind of relationship you have with resources. We can't waste resources. Every single time you run the water on the tap, it took a lot of energy and effort to deliver that clean water. You just don't let it run down the drain. Composting is another opportunity. We consume um, a lot of organic material. We can compost it and reduce the amount of quantity of stuff we take to the landfill, the methane that's produced there. You can produce really excellent garden soil that doesn't require fertilizer and put it right on your yard. These are changes that we're not accustomed to. Americans are accustomed to the garbage goes away. Um, but taking responsibility. Another piece is reducing the use of disposable items. There's a, a lot of talk about the fashion, you know, fast fashion being discardable and billions of pounds of fabric and cloth ending up filling our landfills. Um, buy goods that will last, repair them when they can, don't toss them. Um, move away from disposable things, plates, silverware. Yeah, it takes more work.
0: I suppose it would be fair to say people should just try to not be pessimistic and realize that it all adds up and every little thing that you can do is some incremental step toward positive change. Yes,
1: absolutely. Um, The next car, cars are very difficult to purchase now, but make a commitment to making the next one electric. Every decision that you make has an energy implication. It's part of your, let's say, energy budget. And if you can be conscious of those consumer decisions, and take small steps, we're going to get there. One person doesn't seem to make an impact. But when everybody does that, it changes market perception. And more products are made that way. It incentivizes more businesses to clean up and do the right thing. So those individual choices have ramifications upstream. And that's how we can actually get a societal shift.
0: All right. Well, thanks to our guests, Dr. Anna Pushkin-Shevlin is Regional Director of Growing Climate Solutions. Dr. Pushkin-Shevlin, thank you so much for coming in and talking with us today.
1: Thank you so much for this opportunity.
0: And Dr. Mike Savarese is Professor in the Department of Marine and Earth Sciences at FGCU. Dr. Savarese, thanks to you as well.
1: And thank you for, for thinking of us.
0: You can find links to more information about the survey results and on growing climate solutions on our website, wgcu.org GCL. The Southwest Florida Climate and Community Initiative is holding a summit later this year that we talked about earlier on October 6th at the Hyatt Regency Coconut Point Resort and Spa in Bonita Springs. It's open to anyone, and you can find links to more information about it and the initiative on our website as well. If you missed any of today's show, you can always hear episodes in their entirety on our website or wherever you get podcasts our show today was produced by yours truly our director today is tara calligan she's also our social media coordinator for now thanks for listening i'm Mike this is npr for southwest florida 90.1 wgcu fm fort myers naples and punagorda and 91.7 wmko marco island we're a member supported service of florida gulf coast university